Hello, you're listening to a preview of a premium episode of Blocked and Reported. You're going to hear me talking to Tracing Woodgrains, our incredible furry friend, producer, researcher, uh, great guy. And he broke some news uh, recently, and we're going to talk about it. This is a crazy story involving the Federal Aviation Administration. That's what you're going to get on the preview feed, the free feed. If you become a premium subscriber, blockedreported.org, just $5 a month and up, you're also going to get Katie and I talking about Andy Mills, massages, penises. Then after I interview Trace, Katie and I talk about that. You're going to be missing a lot of stuff if you don't become a premium, including some of the conversation with Trace. You should really just do that. Perhaps most importantly, you're going to miss the reintroduction of the Bar Pod Personals. If you're looking for love as a lonely podcast consumer, Bar Pod Personals is the way to go. Just go to blotterimporter.org, become a primo. Don't make me beg you. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the preview. Trace, welcome to the show. I think a lot of people know you as an insanely talented producer. And furry. I'm going to have to limit the number of furry jokes I made. Can I just make one that you're furry? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. All right. It's more of an observation than a joke. Uh, but yeah, I think people know you as our insanely talented producer uh, and and absolute connoisseur of internet bullshit. But before we get into the story you're here to talk about, why don't you just tell folks a little bit more about your background and how you got into um, uh, posting, I guess. So I grew up as a sheltered Mormon kid in Utah, went down to Australia for my Mormon mission, all of that, and ended up joining the Air Force um, after it wasn't really working out for me at uh, the LDS University, BYU. So you thought you thought BYU was too, um, wasn't pious enough and didn't take their conduct restrictions seriously enough. That, that's what I'm getting? Precisely, precisely. No, actually, <laughs> I never had a problem with the conduct restrictions, oddly. I've always been, like, pretty serious about that stuff. I just... Um, I guess Australia was such a compelling place in terms of doing so much, meeting people from all around the world, so forth, and then coming back and just being a college student in Utah just felt small. Yeah, I would imagine there'd be some uh, culture shock there. Yeah. Okay, I already talked over you, but okay, so that that's how you... How did you get online? Yeah, so honestly, like I've always lived a big chunk of my life online, so if you're wondering why I became what I became. Imagine like a really pious Mormon who spends a ton of time online. And that's sort of what happened. Uh, so it started from like arguing in Pokemon forums as a middle schooler. And then eventually, <laughs> I know, right? The horrible thing about doing that, by the way, is that I can go back and look at the specific arguments I had and the specific things I said when I was 13. I don't know if I recommend that, but I can do it. Uh, from there, I eventually started chatting about uh, culture and politics and so forth, often with like people in the general rational sphere. Then, of course, I got picked up by Barpod, which was awesome. Yeah. Lately, I've just been taking deep dives into really whatever happens to catch my interest and posting about it. So yeah, I've I've always been posting, really. There's just something I very deeply enjoy about tossing ideas into the void and seeing where they catch on and just like finding and contributing to niche online communities. Um, yeah, it, ABP is this, Hey, always be posting. And I don't, I, uh, as people will see, I don't think your stuff is really going into the void these days, but, um, look, I, I want to return to the question of your background, uh, at the end of this actually, but let's get right into the story we're here to discuss. Uh, let's start by introducing the, the main characters. So this whole big story that has brought you a fair amount of attention, deservedly so starts with a dispute between Will Stansel and Steve Saylor. 
First, tell the people who Will Stansel is. Yeah, your favorite guy. He's a, a close person, close personal friend. Will Will Stansel. Yeah, yeah, close friend of the pod. He's a longtime stalwart of progressive Twitter who really, really loves getting into fights. Yeah, he, uh, he doesn't like you much at all. I'm afraid he's said a bunch about how you're uh, just asking questions and so forth. I, that's a horrible accusation to level at a journalist that they're asking questions, and that doesn't sound like me at all, frankly. Yeah, I don't know where he got it. Anyway, yeah, so a while back, Freddie DeBoer wrote this article about good white men, uh, talking about people, you know, Michael Hobbs, Jonathan Katz, Chase Strangio, all of these close personal friends of the pod, <laughs> and Stansel takes pride of place in it. As DeBoer says, quote, Entire books could be written about this young gentleman's rabid effort to be seen as the world's last decent being. I think Stansel's headstone will read, At least I wasn't mad Iglesias, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> and he posts all the time. Dozens of times a day, every day. He is relentless. So, yeah, on that front, I don't feel like I'm really in a position to cast any stones. But Stancil has always jumped out at me as one of the more obnoxious and sort of prolific posters on Twitter. I've had some unpleasant run-ins with him. I did invite him on BarPod. At this point, we've invited a number of the people who believe they don't like us on BarPod. They've always declined. Um, He's had an interesting character arc lately, though, no? Yeah. So it was really funny. Like recently, out of nowhere, just one day, it's like he woke up and decided he's going to turn his chihuahua-like passion towards fighting against the left. Um, so he got up and just started using the powers of relentless chart posting to argue pretty lucidly, honestly, that the economy was a lot better than leftists were crediting and just kind of leveled up his posting a lot in general. Uh, talking about his theory that like vibes matter more than anything in politics with a goal of changing the vibe around the economy, which he kind of accomplished, really. <laughs> you think Will Stansel single-handedly <laughs> changed the national vibe? A little bit. <laughs> I, it, it's interesting that that, um, it's like in lefty spaces online, you're just not ever supposed to suggest that anything is going okay. There's such a stigma against portraying america as anything but this hellhole so it's interesting what people get mad at other people about but he um okay so he's fighting with a bunch of lefties folks like marianne williamson uh what did he say to her um he just basically told her that she would never be president and kept mocking her (laughs) (laughs) um and then he also but he also gets in a fight with nate silver who's also hated by a lot of lefty posters so he's just really taking on all comers at this point and uh, fighting yeah basically right? um and it made a lot of people on twitter including sort of me have a bit of an identity crisis around things because suddenly like he was kind of fun to watch and i think like this guy swan marcus put it best when he was like the uh, beauty of being a stancil bro is that you'll still hate 50 percent of what he tweets we aren't here because stancil is always right we're here because his posting is a roller coaster of conflicting emotions that's all we want, though. That's all we want out of posters is a spectacle. Like, doesn't matter if they're right, doesn't matter if they're wrong, they can be annoying as hell. As long as they can become the Twitter character of the day, that is the highest imperative of posting, on Twitter at least. Yeah, absolutely. And he really leans into the spectacle. Like, he'll sometimes do these really dr- melodramatic tweets, like telling some leftist, you hate me because I have climbed into your head based on nothing but your faction's own ideological weakness. I am your lack of merit coming to haunt you. Um, wait, 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 wait. You didn't you didn't make that up. That's an, that's an actual tweet. That's a legit tweet from him. I I am your lack of merit. I am I am Jack's lack of merit coming to haunt him. Okay. Um Give me another give me another I want another stencil tweet. I haven't seen them in a while. Yeah, so then another one. Um after someone was like, gosh, I hope after I die no one uh, digs up my old tweets to describe why I deserved it. He was like, you know, I want to die like I lived. 
Come spit on my grave, idiots. I'm waiting for you in hell. Jesus, I'm waiting for you in hell. Okay, well, I'm uh, I'm sure that calmed calmed things down. He, this is like real do not gaze too long into the abyss energy when it comes to Will Stansel, it seems like. He's just been online too long, and it is warping him. Yeah, I think John Gans summed it up best when he said, I don't like Stansel, but I can almost respect how he makes people lose their minds because he's so annoying. That's power, and he is beginning to understand it and wield it. Okay, so that's Will Stansel, and what about Steve Saylor? Right, so Saylor, he's been haunting reply sections of blogs since uh, before I was born, I think. Um, Probably, so... People will be talking about something where race stats are vaguely relevant, and bam, there he is. Like a bat signal has gone up with a bunch of charts to remind everyone about every racial difference and a whole lot of other taboo topics. So it's like someone broadcasts like a set of calipers into the sky and yeah. he just walks to it? Yeah, no, actually. Okay, but in far-right circles, he's like their equivalent of sort of a respected intellectual, right? No, absolutely. So he's written for Vider and Uns, two far-right magazines, for a long time about all sorts of these things. He actually coined the term human biodiversity, which some people hear at HBD, whatever, um, talking about race differences and so forth. He's sort of the final boss of right-wing race bloggers. Like, he writes about a ton of things, you know, baseball, architecture, history of suburban sprawl, but it really always seems to wrap back around to race and DEI. (laughs) Here's a graph correlating the skull shape of Negro League players to their batting average. I, I, I like this. Um... Okay, so our, our story begins with the final boss of annoyous, sanctimonious, progressive posting fighting with the final boss of far-right phrenology blogging, and they're fighting about race, which maybe seems like home court advantage for Sailor. Right. I'm really not sure like what Stancil thought he would gain from wading into this specific conversation. But yeah. So engagement, Sa- Trace. Engagement. <laughs> Come on. You should know better than that. I know, right? The glory of posting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Sailor wandered into Stancil's replies to claim like Obama lowered standards in air traffic controller hiring to hire more blacks. Stancil mocked him for trying to tie everything bad in the world to black people, as one does. Then someone noticed how Stancil's quote statistics at everyone until they changed their mind arc was sort of this like dark or light world mirror of sailors <laughs> who's been doing that for 20 years <laughs> just endless charts and graphs and follow-up questions i like it okay so they get in this fight about race and uh stancil one thing i did see is that he's just sort of i mean tell me if i have this right it seemed like he was sort of um blowing up these there's a ton of right-wing racist creeps on twitter especially these days and and, and stancil sort of went out of his way to point them out and ridicule them, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, you'd have something where a few people would make some reasonable points, and then, as happens, like, some of these right-wing, just bottom-of-the-barrel creeps would come in and say something about the Jews or whatever, and he'd highlight that and be like, everyone who disagrees with me is just like this absolute bottom-of-the-barrel moron. Look how dumb these morons are. And, we, and, we, and we've had, and we had um, an interview with Catherine Page Harden, who's, like, a legit psych researcher who studies intelligence and genetics. And there is this thing where like, if you even admit that IQ has any impact on anything in this partly heritable, that makes you racist. When in fact, that's like a pretty strongly held consensus among scientists. That's pretty different from talking about biologically based race differences. I I have all that correct. Yeah. So like Stancil would sort of weave between like pointing out these really obviously bigoted far right dudes. And then, uh, feeling like he might be casting a side eye at even someone like Catherine Page Harden. And so Sailor, 
he saw a vulnerability. He saw a chance to sell some books, which he has been doing extensively in Sansil's comment section. And he hopped on board where it was this unstoppable force meets immovable object sort of situation. Both of them realizing, to, each of them to his delight, he had finally found a poster as persistent as himself. And so both of them were just leaning in and trying to polarize everyone they could. From their point of view, it's a like symbiotic relationship but for everyone else it's like the key master meets the gatekeeper in ghostbusters it's not it's not good news for anybody basically okay and as i said that i was like is trace old enough to get that reference i wasn't sure but let's just move past that so the basic setup here is triggered by this claim from steve sailor obama lowered air traffic controller standards for the sake of diversity this sounds like something you'd hear posted by a guy whose name is like MAGA Liberty Eagle 7076 and a Breitbart comment section. It sounds made up, except you decided to look into it and it, it wasn't made up. That That's sort of the punchline we're working toward. But what, what made you look into this? Because at this point, this is just a slap fight between two unsavory figures online. And I have to give you credit because I'm not sure I would have like had the stomach to, you know, consider there might be something there worth looking into. All right. So first of all, I'm going to pause and point out that on Barpod, you just asked me why I'm looking into a slap fight between two unsavory figures online. (laughs) We're literally paying you to do that. And then I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you do things like, I don't know, go after some ABDL moderator of a NaNoWriMo forum? Who would do that? (laughs) I don't know, Jesse. You tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm getting roasted on my own podcast. Um, But yeah, you know, sometimes the muse strikes and I... Feel compelled to articulate one of my very altogether too many strong opinions. Like, this fight had been going on for like a week, crowding up everything in my Twitter feed, and at some point I realized I had a bit to say about it. A few things. So, like, first of all, I really wanted to emphasize, because this is a matter of some dispute, that it was entirely reasonable to call Sailor racist. This isn't like, like, the term gets thrown around a lot, but there also are actual racists. And in your view, we should call them out as such. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't mean, like, I'm going to say, oh, I want to shut them out of all conversations. But, like, call a spade a spade. Well, well, that was an interesting point you made. Um, I saw you make because you're saying this idea that Steve Saylor is a racist, therefore anything he says can be immediately discounted. You basically reject that on the grounds that a lot of people believe a lot of shitty things and we can't just you know, shut out anyone who has an unsavory belief. Am I summing up your views on that right? Yeah, absolutely. Look, when I grew up Mormon, um, anytime I saw something that coded as anti-Mormon, I would have just this awful feeling in the pit of my stomach. It would feel terrible to even think about any of that stuff. And coming out the other end and realizing that these people who I considered legitimately some of the most vile people with the most vile views in the world actually had a few really important insights for me to take it made it really hard for me to dismiss people just because they're vile in some ways. Like, and I, I still can't. This seems like a common, um, I'm jumping the gun here because I wanted to talk about your background later, but a lot, among a lot of people who come out of evangelical or fundamentalist backgrounds, um, I think of like Andy Mills, who Katie just interviewed, or um, uh, Megan Phelps Roper, who came out of the Westboro Baptist Church. It It's like you come out of your belief with this level of almost Zen-like open-mindedness that I think is hard for other people who don't come from those backgrounds to achieve. Like it, like it requires an act of radical open-mindedness to end up in your current space. And maybe that makes you more open-minded in the future. Yeah. I mean, when you realize you were that wrong about something that core to your life, you're, you're going to have a hard time looking at the world the same way. And especially one reason it particularly strikes me and it particularly struck me here. Um, 
is that when someone like that says something correct, and other people just say, oh, no, 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 nothing to see there, everything's fine, look away from this, um, it really tweaks a certain set of like, truth curious, maybe a little bit autistic people who look around and they're like, well, no, hold on. He was right about this thing. And then some of them end up going and are like, well, if he's right about this, like what else is everyone trying to lie to me about? And maybe he's the only one who will tell me the truth. And you know, it, it can go a certain way. Okay. And and the post that really caught your attention involves sailor claiming that the, the process of air traffic controller hiring had changed via the, the introduction of this new test, right? What did he say exactly? Yeah, so he was like basically pointing out, hey, here's this super weird assessment that seems to be like leaning into racist stereotypes or something. Like it is rewarding people for saying their worst high school subject was science or that they had been unemployed recently. And he was saying that that had become a key part of the air traffic controller process at some point. And and some of this really does sound like a right wing conspiracy theory, like saying you did poorly in science benefits you or that you had been unemployed benefited you. But you start poking around in court documents and and you found pretty quickly that like this was real, right? That didn't take that long to establish? Yeah. No, I did. I found that it was pretty well established on the record that, yeah, this assessment did exist. It had been eliminating people back in the day and there were some really weird things going on. And in particular, like uh, one guy I chat with on Twitter, he really wasn't persuaded And so we went back and forth a little bit, and eventually I made a really petty bet with him, like, look, I bet I can prove that this questionnaire is real. Um, And that's sort of what kicked it all off. And what would would he have to pay you if you proved it was real? It was just like he'd have to post something embarrassing on Twitter. I was bored on a Sunday night. I was like, look, if I'm going to be doing research, at least I can get the smug satisfaction of saying I'm right out of it. And okay, so so it's like challenge accepted, then what happened next? Yeah, so it turned out this whole thing was centered on a big lawsuit, um, an ongoing class action suit that uh, had a ton of court filings available to dig through. So I just started going through, getting help with court fees to access what wasn't around for free on the law firm's website. And honestly, pretty quickly, I started to realize that if anything, Saylor had been understating the story. And that no one had really done a deep dive into the lawsuit, and very few people had touched it much at all for years, only passed around the same bits of information from a 2016 Fox Business investigation and then like a 2018 Tucker Carlson segment. Um, And it really was, as I looked, the sort of story that you would absolutely be called a conspiracy theorist for touching if there weren't reams and reams of carefully preserved evidence. Okay, so give us sort of the elevator pitch of exactly what happened here. So yeah, uh, in 2014... um, The FAA just completely upended the air traffic controller hiring process out of nowhere, just like tossed their whole pipeline that they had into the air, said, we're starting over, we're doing it all over again, new ways, um, uh, in a way that just threw a ton of lives into disarray. And that at its core really does look like it was based on diversity motivations. Okay, so so tell me about the normal path to become an air traffic controller and what exactly they changed, how everything was upended and thrown into chaos. Right, so up until 2014, it was a pretty straightforward process. Like, unless you were a veteran or a former air traffic controller returning after a career break, the FAA provided pretty much just one reliable path, and they were really clear about this on their website and really clear about this in their promotional material, one reliable path to becoming an air traffic controller. It was a program that they started back in the 80s called the Collegiate Training Initiative, or CTI. 
um, and students would just do a two or four year degree in preparation for applying, basically. Okay, so this is in effect like the equivalent of a bachelor's degree in air traffic controlling, like it's done basically like a college major? Yeah, exactly. Um, And you could only get in otherwise, like if there were not enough CTI students in a given year, then at that point, they might go and look for people off the street. But they were really, really the, uh, the FAA, The FAA might, you're saying. Yes, yeah. Otherwise, the FAA is only hiring people from this one program. Exactly. And they're really clear about that. Like, you're not guaranteed a slot if you go through the program, but they're pretty clear, like, uh, your fate's mostly in your hands with this. Um, like, if you are qualified, if you go through this program, you'll be the ones we turn to. Um, and so there was this program, and then there was this eight-hour uh, cognitive test called the uh, ATSAT, the ATSAT. Okay, so who is, like, what are the sorts of applicants they were getting for CTI? What sorts of backgrounds were they from? Yeah, so, you know, people came from a lot of different sorts of backgrounds, but it really tended towards people who, for whatever reason, were really, really passionate about aviation. You know, some ex-military, many who just see this chance to pursue a technical aviation-related career— and really want it. Um, Historically, not just through CTI, but with air traffic controllers in general, historically the bulk have been white men. Um, It really varies, but they scored the highest on the ATSAT on average, and they've always been the bulk of air traffic controllers, which is something that the higher-ups have noticed with frustration for decades, really. So in particular, uh, a prominent employee association in the FAA called the National Black Coalition of Federal Aviation Employees um, or NBCFAE, uh, they were really vocal in objecting to this, starting at least as far back as 2000, but really, really ramping it up around 2009. Okay, and what moves did they make when they started to ramp up, um, you know, uh, try to get other people concerned about diversity in the air traffic controller workforce? Yeah, so first they analyzed diversity data, then they sent some letters out to the FAA admin and the Department of Transportation Secretary, alleging disparate treatment and hinting at more. And and, and disparate Disparate treatment is one of those terms with legal weight. So that you're not just saying a process is unfair in some abstract way. You're making a potentially legally actionable claim under federal law, right? Right. They were pretty explicitly tossing around the idea of lawsuits. And eventually the FAA commissions this barrier analysis and an extension to the barrier analysis as a response to all of this, which claimed that the cognitive test and the CTI program exhibit disparate impact and emphasized that disparate impact could be reduced Um, if you eliminate most candidates via non-cognitive measures first. So that's what they recommended doing. Okay, so how heavily was an applicant's results on the ATSAT weighted? Like, how much did it matter? Yeah, so if you failed, you were just outright disqualified. And, like, 95% of candidates technically passed the test, so only a few were eliminated outright. That's a story in and of itself. But to be well-qualified, which is the pool that, like, 90% of applicants or so were drawn from, you needed a higher score, and only around half of candidates met that. Okay, so they're saying that this pool of qualified ca- uh, candidates in particular was disproportionately white, and that in theory, if you can eliminate the right or the wrong sorts of candidates before you even factor in the ATSAT, this would change the demographic makeup of the incoming class of air traffic controllers? Right, exactly. Uh, that's the idea. So from that point, they lobby administrators all the way up to the Congressional Black Caucus for change. And then they secure a sudden freeze in the hiring process at a time when the FAA had been saying it would be hiring about 1,000 people a year, which was followed by the implementation of a new biographical questionnaire in line with those recommendations made in the barrier analysis. Okay, but this test actually turns out to be its own sort of barrier in terms of how it is implemented and who it affects, right? Right. And this is where things get weird and people start getting mad. 
See, they implement this new test for the 2014 hiring cycle, and they give people only a month advance warning that they're doing it. And this new test, it is bonkers. Just, uh, I, we got to get to the test, but I months warning. So these are folks who could have been years into their training process, and then with a month's warning, they have the rug pulled out from under them, and you have to take this new test to even be considered? Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, let's let's do it. Let's imagine a nightmare situation in which I, Jesse Single... I'm attempting to become an air traffic controller, which I can't even say that sentence out loud. It, it makes me so nervous for the world. But what are some of the questions I would have to answer uh, on this new test? So, Jesse, of the following, the college subject in which I received my lowest grades was A, science, B, math, C, English, D, history and political science, or E, did not attend college. I'm assuming E. <laughs> right. I mean, you would think. Uh, in college, I think my lowest grade was math. I briefly wanted to be a physics major despite having no work ethic, and the math classes tripped me up the most. Ooh, I'm sorry. The correct answer was history or political science. Everything else is a zero. That is 15 points off your score. Wait, okay, but... Are they? Is this accompanied by like a college transcript so they can verify this? That's That's my first question. Yeah, no, you just toss it in and hope wait you just say they just take your word for whatever you say yeah absolutely and like the lowest high school grade they were looking for was science also worth 15 points um, wait, wait, wait. I, just, I want to start <laughs> with the college one so if you say history political science was your lowest score meaning you first of all this is bullshit because it's self-reporting college grades and who does that on a multiple choice test but that would that would imply your science and math scores were higher which if anything if we're going to take this seriously you would want in an air traffic controller did they, did anyone ever explain the purpose of this question, what history and poli-sci grades have to do with anything? No, they actually were really diligent about not explaining the purpose of any of it, and it took a ton of FOIA requests to even figure out what this test was supposedly measuring. They were very tight-lipped. Okay, and to, and to be clear, these were FOIA requests someone else did that you got you got your hands on the documents? Yeah, absolutely. There have been some very diligent people. Okay, let's um, uh, give me another question from this. I want to see if I can recover and, and become an air traffic controller. Yeah, absolutely. So... My peers would describe me as a person who, A, never takes chances, B, hardly ever takes chances, C, sometimes takes chances, D, often takes chances, or E, very often takes chances. <laughs> sometimes takes chances? C, is that right? <laughs> oh, wrong again. The correct answer, what we all want for our air traffic controllers, is for them to be people who very often take chances. Wait, really? <laughs> That's what we want in air traffic <laughs> That is what we want in air traffic controller. <laughs> It looks like those planes are about to collide above JFK, but I'm a kind of guy who E very often takes chances, so it's fine. Uh, okay, this is pretty bad so far. Yeah, but you know, that one's only worth five points compared to the lowest grade being 15 points, so you could recover from that. Okay, good. Uh, wow. wow, okay. <laughs> there were a ton of questions like this, and the way they were scored made absolutely no sense. Someone turned this into an interactive quiz online after my post, so we can put in a link in the show notes there if you want to take this quiz for yourself and see if you, too, can be an air traffic controller, <laughs> which we all want. But it was surreal. It was completely unproctored. It knocked out 92% of candidates with zero chance to appeal. The questions and the weights on it made no sense, and bizarrely, you could pass by answering A on every question, except for that question about your lowest college grade, which you needed to answer D. So 92% of people were knocked out by this completely meaningless arbitrary test. Yes. Not only that, 
but applicants obtained recordings and emails from an NBC FAE member advising students explicitly on how to answer the questions, which buzzwords to put on their resumes to get them to the top of the stack, how they should make sure to put their club membership on their resumes as a signal, and how they had to keep outsiders, and especially white men, from learning about any of this. Again, this all sounds incredibly conspiratorial, but it was all confirmed by an FAA investigation into the organization. Uh, they did nothing about it and acknowledged no wrongdoing on the part of the people involved. I feel there's a subset of person who every holiday they go home and they get in a fight with their dad, who's like a Breitbart reader or an Alex Jones viewer. And for years, they've knocked down their dad's conspiracy theories. This is going to be the one time their dad is right. And it's going to make for such a painful trip home. I feel bad for them already. Yeah. Yeah. And like no one involved is really disputing the substance. Like, to be clear, the FAA tried very, very, very hard to hide the substance of this. But at this point, it's all out in the open and their internal records and even their arguments in court confirm it. So so talk about the impact this had on folks who had like really, I don't know, built an early part of their life, uh, their adult life at least, around the idea of becoming an air traffic controller. Yeah. So a lot of these people, you know, as one does for college, they had gone into debt, taken out student loans for these CTI degrees. They had aced the ATSAT. They had already taken it. Some of them got perfect scores on it. They were really on the verge of getting hired. And then with only a month's warning, they were told that their test scores completely voided, their degrees meaningless. So like, for example, I'm in law school. Imagine I got through law school, passed the bar exam, and then was told that to find out whether I could be a lawyer, I had to take that biographical assessment. And that instead of competing only against fellow law students, I would be competing against everyone who walked in off the street. That I had a 90% chance of failing and losing my shot at practicing law for at least another year, possibly forever, without a single bit of feedback about why or what went wrong. That's um, that's insane. It's, it's easy to just get mad on behalf of these applicants who were screwed over. Yeah. And they and their professors were told all of this on December 30th, 2013, Christmas break, a month before they had to take the test. So suddenly all of their professors are left absolutely scrambling, trying to explain why everything they were doing was not a complete waste of time, which, to be clear, from the FAA's perspective, it suddenly was. And the students are left scrambling, trying to figure out what else to do with their lives when they almost inevitably fail the questionnaires. So the, yeah, this degree, you cannot, this is not like a degree in, you know, my degree in philosophy, which as useless as it is, you can apply for jobs with it. No, no one in another profession is like, oh, you have a degree, you have a CTI degree. Like people don't even know what that is. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So this seems like the sort of thing that is going to leave a lasting impact on uh, a lot of people's lives. Yeah. So this happened a decade ago, but it led to a precipitous decline in CTI enrollment. Uh, the universities, most of them had to band together to even figure out how or if their programs would survive. A significant decline in air traffic controller training pass rates immediately afterwards. And there's been a decline over time in applications on the whole since then. Um, the relationship between the FAA and these CTI schools is only just now starting to really be on the mend. And the hiring pipeline was completely shattered and has never like precisely recovered from it. The class action lawsuit, like we talked about, it's still ongoing. Do we have any hard numbers on how many people were affected by this? Yeah. So around like 3,000 candidates were purged from the hiring list to make way for the new system. Um, the class action itself has something like 1,000 people, um, a little over 1,000. I'm not sure the specific number. Uh, and all 36 CTI programs were permanently hurt, uh, which means nobody at all has anywhere near as clear a path to becoming an air traffic controller as they once did. It's still something of a roll of the dice. So 
thousands were directly impacted. A lot more were indirectly impacted. It's just it's such an interesting example of like how activism and institutions work because this was always going to become a big story that would prove disastrous for the people who want to diversify air traffic controllers. Because now this has turned into a giant circus and and fodder for the right, completely justifiable fodder for the right because it's a ridiculous story. How would you... You've you've done yeoman's work sort of looking into this, but how would you explain the mindset of the folks who advocated for the system? How did they not see that this was going to bite them in the ass? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And I feel like they might have just thought they could get away with it, honestly. Like, it's it's been a decade and people barely the, believe. The Scooby-Doo, the Scooby-Doo principle. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like, they, no one really noticed. Um, and they really worked very hard to keep it all under wraps and just explain it in vague terms and be like, look, no, we just changed the process to make it more inclusive. Carry on. And you've heard from, uh, you, you went pretty viral tweeting about this and it blew the story up in a way. I don't think it had been blown up before. Uh, like you said, there was only sporadic coverage and you ended up hearing from people who are directly affected, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I've had more than a dozen people, um, current air traffic controllers, former air traffic controllers, a lot of the people who um, applied for this and have been working for years to bring this to light, uh, a lot of them reaching out to me directly. Um, the wounds really have not healed. Um, the CTI admins immediately after all of this went down, they started an organization trying to work together, figuring all this out. Uh, the students, they went to news outlets, they went to Congress, they went anywhere they could trying to figure out how to undo the damage everyone was trying to figure out what on earth went on. One guy personally filed over 200 FOIA requests, went to court with the FAA five times over them. And that's the only reason we know how the questionnaire was graded. Um, And like an act of Congress reversed some of the changes and a few people lost their jobs, but the FAA has mostly just kept it buried, avoided admitting fault. Um, One thing I really want to emphasize, like the people I was talking to, they are really... Like, some of them are conservative, some of them are liberal, some of them are more progressive even. And they are not interested, a lot of them, in weaponizing it as a political football. Like, a lot of them, when I was covering it, they reached out to me and they're like, look, you're not, like, alt-right, are you? You're not just going to try to weaponize this? Um, Because they just, a lot of them have, even the main person trying to bring it to light, uh, she, like, really believed in a lot of this diversity stuff and still does, so long as it isn't adverse impact stuff, um, still believes in outreach anywhere, still believes in a lot of this. And they really just want people to understand the Kafkaesque story they were trapped in. And for a decade, only right-wingers have been willing to listen to them. And not even right-wing sources have looked at the story in any depth, particularly since the lawsuit really got underway. It's such a good example of how like, you know, in a, in a country that is rapidly becoming more diverse and where there's all these new immigrant groups, if, if you wanted, you could do, I'm sure there's a huge amount of untapped potential in communities that don't have good pipelines into the ATC world. And you could, you could, there's all sorts of ways, including ironically through standardized tests that you could identify kids or teenagers who at an early age showed promise in this area and just give them a chance to compete fairly with everyone else. Like it, it didn't have to be such a disaster of a system. I'm, I'm not seeing any reason why it had to be. No, absolutely. I saw you tweeting about how, um, this affected your view of Pete uh, Buttigieg, a, a guy you'd previously felt some degree of connection to as a politician? Not yet, actually. So, like, let's be clear about this. Um, if people want to use this as a weapon, they can, but the Trump admin had four years to fix something that is 
as blatant of red meat for conservatives as you, as you can get. They did nothing at all about this. They did nothing with the lawsuit. They didn't mention it at all. They had no clue about it. So clearly this has not been particularly high salience for the Department of Transportation lately. That, I find that shocking. Trump could have run for re-election on like this. It's such a potent story. It is so I guess potent. that just speaks to their complete disorganization and incompetence. But uh, sorry, continue. Yeah, my impression really is that virtually nobody was paying much attention at all until my thread. So I mentioned, and I stand by this and got a lot of flack for it that I really do think Buttigieg is in a perfect position to fix it. Um, And honestly, I think that the Biden administration really could look at it, say, we can fix this and get a lot of political credit for doing so for something pretty simple. Yeah, like as bad as this is, it it just it's so obviously bad that I don't think it has any actual defenders. It seems like this sort of an instance in which sunshine will be the best disinfectant like this can't survive the scrutiny, I feel like. I really do think so. And especially like given there was so little recent attention on it until uh, what I was mentioning and given the near complete changeover of personnel since the time, I really do think like the current FAA and DOT are in a position where if they choose to, and they could very well not choose to, but if they choose to, they can look at it with fresh eyes with all relevant information at their disposal And the time I really do think could be right for this all to be fixed. Okay. There are a lot more details we're not going to have time to get into here because I want to discuss some other stuff with you, uh, including why right-wing media didn't pick this up. Um, So if people want to read more about this, they can find it on your Substack. yes? Yeah, that's right. Uh, And I did go through a lot of this in my first article on the topic. My next aim, I'm hoping to get it out, we'll see how soon, is to write a follow-up, really going more into the stories of the people impacted by this and the ones who have been fighting for a decade to bring it to light. Excellent work, Trace. This was it was awesome to see you get the credit you deserve for this. We're gonna leave it there for the folks on the free feed, but for those on the premium feed, uh, there's more I want to ask you about, including this really interesting article you wrote for your Substack on why you think the Republican Party is doomed and the culture clash you've encountered, sort of moving from a fairly conservative background to elite liberal institutions. Before we say goodbye to the freeloaders, though, where can people find you? Yeah, so of course I'm on Barpod. Love it here. You can always find me haunting the pod's discussion spaces. I try to comment on the subreddit and the discussion threads when I can. More directly, I'm uh, easiest to find uh, writing at tracingwoodgrains.com and on Twitter at tracewoodgrains. Tracewoodgrains, tracingwoodgrains, those are your handles everywhere. Folks should, uh, folks should get to know you. You're a good boy. Thank you. Okay, goodbye, free listeners. You should sign up at blockreporter.org if you want to hear the rest of this conversation. 